Chapter 9, Food and Fashion How connected are Eggo waffles with Stranger Things? Google Eggos in the first suggested search association is Stranger Things. The brand, in fact, is now so associated with the show, it was featured at the beginning of a Super Bowl ad for Stranger Things 2. The 2017 commercial opens with a vintage Eggos commercial from the 1980s in which a brother and sister fight over a just-popped waffle in the toaster. Lego my ego, they say, citing the brand's famous tagline. The nostalgia about as thick as the syrup being slowly poured over the warm plate of waffles is interrupted by Mike screaming, Eleven! And then a cut to the visuals for season two. The commercial garnered a larger social media response than any other ad running during the Super Bowl that year. In fact, the Eggo's social media account and Stranger Things account even playfully bantered with each other on Twitter. Yet, this was not product placement in the traditional sense. According to Kellogg's, which owns the Eggo brand, it never paid for placement in the show. It was simply an organic plot and character device the Duffer Brothers came up with that worked. The, fro- the frozen waffles were a staple of many households in the 1980s. Why not the Willers? Kellogg certainly wasn't complaining. The frozen waffles first make an appearance in the show in Season 1, Chapter 2, The Weirdo on Maple Street. When Mike, when Mike stuffs them in his jacket pocket before sneaking down to Eleven in the basement. Got you breakfast, he says, handing her a waffle. Thereafter, the frozen waffles became an important symbol for Elle's character and her relationship with Mike. It is a food she associates with friendship, belonging, home, love. It is, quite literally, comfort food. 
there is an intentional irony about this as Eggo waffles are not exactly the gold standard for an authentic home-cooked breakfast. They were invented in the 1950s as mass-produced frozen foods began to take hold in a marketplace and increasingly driven by convenience. Making real waffles took time and effort. Eggos, by contrast, were quick and efficient and left no mess behind. In the early 1970s, the brand was acquired by Kellogg's and debuted its famous slogan, Lego My Ego. Its popularity exploded as it met demand from the rising number of single-parent and working-parent homes. By the 1980s, just about every family had a box of Eggos in their freezer. It is no surprise, then, that the frozen waffles turn up in Stranger Things. What is surprising is how deftly the Duffer Brothers are able to weave the, wa the waffles into the story. Eggos make their second significant appearance in Season 1, Chapter 6, The Monster. Eleven finds herself alone and abandoned again, this time by her new friends and after she was unable to help them find and save Will. After spending the night in the woods, she walks into a supermarket, dirty, disheveled, and hungry. Everyone stares. She feels her scrutinizing gaze, their scrutinizing gaze, but marches forward looking for something to eat. She finally sees something familiar in the frozen food aisle, Eggo waffles. She, quick, she quickly grabs several boxes. Note the kids band together for safety promos on the boxes. The baffled store clerks call the police and try to stop her as she makes a beeline for the door. But Eleven is not having it, using her powers to block them with the grocery, the grocery carts and slamming the sliding glass doors shut behind her. The visual of, of, of her clutching several boxes of eggos as the glass doors shattered behind her was undeniable. It was the moment Elle's love for the frozen waffles was solidified, not only in the context of the show, but as a pop culture meme. Eventually, Eleven makes her way back to the woods where she gorges on the eggos by herself. It is in this episode we see that the frozen waffles mean more to her than just a random, vaguely cardboard-tasting food item. Elle remains a stranger in a strange land. As the title of the episode indicates, she feels like a monster, a freak. As the title of the episode indicates, she feels like a monster, a freak. Without a home or family or friends, she seeks refuge in the comfort of egos because of what they represent. Not only memories of Mike's kindness, but also a brief moment where she had a place to call home. In the final episode of season one, The Upside Down, holed up at Hawkins Middle School, Elle and Eleven are talking amongst themselves as Dustin and Lucas go looking for food, eventually discovering a fridge full of chocolate pudding. Elle has never heard of pudding, so Mike tries to explain what it is. He then tries to comfort her by telling her that she can live with him again once things settle down. She can have a place in his basement, he says, or even take his room. Don't worry, he reassures her. When all this is over, you won't have to keep eating junk food and leftovers like a dog anymore. My mom, she's a pretty good cook. 
she can make you anything you like. B, Eagles. Eleven responds, well, yeah, Eagles. Mike says, but real food, too. It is a great exchange, funny and moving, that once again highlights Eleven's difference and longing for normalcy. She doesn't understand the difference between real food and frozen processed food because she's never had a normal life. To her, living in Mike's basement, eating, eating ego sounds like heaven. Towards the end of the episode, after the climatic encounter with the Demogorgon, in which Eleven seemingly sacrifices her life to save her friends, Eggles once again come into play. This time, as Chief Hopper leaves some plastic-wrapped frozen waffles in a storage box in the woods. It is Christmas Eve, over a month since she disappeared, and snow now blankets the forest. But the Eggles are a cue to the audience that she may still be alive, or at least at that Chief Hopper thinks she might be. According to producer Sean Levy, Eggles were not in the original script for the scene. It was just going to be some kind of food from the party, Levy revealed. The Duffers and I were talking about the scene over dinner one night, and together we hatched this idea of leaving the Eggles specifically just to hint who he might be saving the food for, or the hope of who he would be leaving the food for. That was one of the 50 decisions that you stumble into, and they became defining moments. While Eggles play the most prominent role, food role in the series, a number of other brands are featured in the show, including a product famously featured in E.T., Reese's Pieces. When Dr. Owens asks Will what his favorite candy is during an examination at Hawkins' lab, Will cites the famous candy Elliot used to lure E.T. Good call, responds Dr. Owens. I'm more of a mounds guy, but I've got to say peanut butter and chocolate, it's hard to beat. The chocolate candy that actually plays a more E.T.-like role in Stranger Things, however, is Three Musketeers. In season two, we see the candy bar in multiple episodes. In its appropriately vintage packaging, white with red and blue stripes are opposed to the silver packaging we are more familiar with today. Consisting of chocolate with a whipped nougat center, the Three Musketeers bar first appeared in 1932. By the 1980s, however, it was much less popular than candy bars like Snickers, Twix, Baby Ruth, and Butterfingers. This point is driven home in the show as the boys are out trick-or-treating and Lucas complains about getting yet another Three Musketeers from an old lady. What's wrong with Three Musketeers? asked Dustin. No one likes Three Musketeers, says Mike. Yeah, it's just nougat, agrees Will. Just nougat? Dustin retorts, and then he says, It's top three for me. Just as Egos became uh, attached to Eleven's character in season one, Three Musketeers subsequently play an important role for Dustin in season two. At the end of chapter two, Trick or Treat Freak, as he returns from trick-or-treating, he hears something rustling in the trash. It turns out to be the small, pollywog-like creature that Dustin adopts as a pet. Like Dustin, the pet loves Three Musketeers candy bars. You like nougat too, huh? 
Dustin says, smiling as he watches the creature nibble on the pieces he drops inside the glass cage. He decides to call the slimy little creature, creature Dart for short, after one of the three musketeers. In addition to E.T., Dustin's chocolate-based connection with Dart also elicited comparisons to the Goonies. In that movie, Chuck, a Dustin-like creature, character, befriends Sloth, the disfigured character held hostage by the Patellis, with the Baby Ruth candy bar. Similarly, in the final chapter of Season 2, The Gate, Dustin is able to pacify Dart, now no longer a cute creature, but a full-grown demodog, with a Three Musketeers candy bar. The candy bar symbolizes their bond and allows he and his friends to escape unscathed. Goodbye, buddy, he says after feeding him the chocolate-coated nougat for the last time. We see a number of other parrot-specific iterations of food brands. In Season 1, Chapter 3, Holly Jolly, Eleven is flipping through channels on TV in Mike's house when a Coca-Cola commercial comes on. That commercial actually premiered in 1983, the year Season 1 takes place. Seeing the ad, however, triggers an unpleasant memory for Eleven, in which she is being tested in Hawkins' lab. Dr. Brenner looks on approvingly as she crushes a Coke can with her mind, but Elle looks scared and confused. When she awakes from the flashback, the commercial is still playing, concluding with Soft Drink's 80s tagline, Coke it is. In the same episode when the boys are preparing for Operation Mirkwood to save Will, Dustin brings a large assortment of snacks, including a number of 80s staples, bazooka, bubblegum, Smarties, uh, Little Debbie, Nutty Bars, Pringles, and Nella Wafers. In Season 2, Chapter 1, Mad Max, we see Keith, the awkward teenager who works at the arcade, chomping on an old-school bag of Cheetos. Meanwhile, in just about every breakfast scene, there are many. We see the iconic figurine glass bottle of Mrs. Butterworth's syrup. We also see Jiffy Pop popcorn. Joyce cooks the tin wrapped package on the stove in season two, chapter one, Mad Max, as they get ready for movie night. The stovetop popcorn, which expanded the aluminum covering as it cooked, preceded microwave popcorn as the go-to option for families in the 1980s. In perhaps the funniest food scene, Steve and Nancy sit down to an awkward dinner with Barb's parents, the Hollands, in Season 2, Chapter 1, Mad Max. 
Barb's mom, Mrs. Holland, apologizes for not having time to make a home-cooked meal, offering instead a spread from the fast food uh, chain, Kentucky Fried Chicken. On the dinner table, we see the classic red and white striped box of chicken, along with smaller plastic containers of mashed potatoes and coleslaw. While Mrs. Holland seems a bit embarrassed, embarrassed, Nancy and Steve insist the meal is fine. I love KFC, says Steve graciously. Some viewers point out that the company didn't officially change its name to KFC until 1991. Although, in the show's defense, the initials were often used by customers before that. The scene's incorporation of Kentucky Fried Chicken works not only because the company was so popular in the 1980s, but also because of the way it highlights a national trend of families turning to fast food to compensate for their hectic work schedules. Over the course of the meal, Nancy and Steve learned that Barb's parents have put their house up for sale to pay for a private investigator to look into their daughter's disappearance. Disturbed by this development, Nancy excuses herself to go to the bathroom. Left alone with Barb's parents, Steve bites into a piece of fried chicken and, not knowingly, not knowing what else to say, decides to repeat KFC's famous tagline, This is finger-licking good. No, this is probably one of the top five funniest moments in the series. Fashion there is a good transition from food to fashion. Probably not. But there are both integral to the iconography of the show. Nothing in the Stranger Things, in Stranger Things, not even Eggles, has inspired more memes from the singular fashion sensibility of Bob Barb Holland. Played by Shannon Purser in her debut debut uh screen role, Barb becomes an internet sensation, inspiring endless gifts, hashtags, and tributes. Volter declared her the best character on the show. The Daily Beast referred to her as a no-nonsense queen. Vanity Fair, meanwhile, explained the phenomenon of Barb like this. There might be plenty of female misfits on TV nowadays, but most of them still look like Nancy's, slender women with big eyes and porcelain skin. By contrast, the bespeckled, freckle, freckle, freckled Barb looks more like someone you might actually meet in real life or could have met if you were around in the 1980s. And for that, she's a singular presence on TV who has clearly struck a nerve. After dying at the beginning of Chapter 3, Holly Jolly, I warned you there would be spoilers. Viewers were, like Nancy, incensed that so little attention was given to her disappearance, particularly compared to Will. They demanded justice for Barb. The Barb obsession became so intense Persia was forced to quit her job at a movie theater because too many fans wanted to meet her in person. Persia was stunned by the response to her character. The whole Barb phenomenon blew me away, she acknowledged. Barb wasn't supposed to be a big deal, and you lovely people made her important. 
she told her fans on Twitter. Even the Duffer brothers admit they didn't see it coming, though they were thrilled it did. Like many others, they identified with Barb as someone on the outside looking in. It was very easy for us to write the Barb character, said Ross Duffer. And I think that, you know, Shannon Purser, who had never acted before, did just a brilliant job realizing her. And again, without many lines, 25 lines, and I and I think everyone feels like either they knew this girl or they were this girl. Of course, Bob had some detractors. Some saw her character as uh, sanctimonious and jealous or possessive of Nancy. Yet clearly, as Vanity Fair put it, she struck a nerve. And while there are, no doubt, many reasons for this, a big part of it had to do with her look. Costume designer Kimberly Adams' main goal for Barb and the show's other characters was to be as authentic as possible. The Duffer Brothers' biggest focus was that they wanted the characters to be real and not uh, some some watered-down versions of people or what people remember of the 1980s, which happens a lot, she said. For Barb, the signature look included high-waisted, uh, light-colored jeans, sometimes referred to as mom jeans, a high-necked plaid blouse tucked in, and big plastic frame glasses, glasses which some compared to those worn by Steph from the Goonies. We tried a lot of clothing, said Adams, but when she put on the first ruffled plaid blouse, we both looked at each other and knew we had found her. Yet Barb's style was also about her short red hair and freckles, her height and body tight. As Purser herself wrote on Twitter, can I be super real? Didn't think a girl with my body type would get this far. I'm so thankful and excited. Matt Duffer delivered this and part of why people connected with her. I just think no one casts anyone like her. And that was something important to us and important to casting director Carmen Cuba, who was was that we're casting kids and teens who feel very real. She looks like someone you might actually go to school with. Just as much care went into the costume design for other characters, Kimberly Adams, who oversaw costume design for episodes season one through four, scoured 80s films and TV shows, as well as catalogs, magazines, and yearbooks from the period. Then she put together mood boards that established the look and feel of different characters or groups. For the Byers family, for example, she wanted to make sure that the clothes didn't feel as new or in style, consistent with their socioeconomic circumstances. Will's clothes, accordingly, were intended to look like hand-me-downs compared to Mike's newer outfits. Nancy Willer, meanwhile, wears a combination of preppy sweaters, turtlenecks, and cardigans, capturing her character's place somewhere in between cool girl and conscientious student, conscientious student. Her family is upper middle class. She is smart and sweet and feminine, and her closet needed to reflect that. Along with Barb, perhaps the most iconic look from the show is Eleven, as dressed by the boys in pink dress, navy blue windbreaker, and striped tube socks. 
the pink baby doll the pink baby doll dress comes from Nancy's old wardrobe while the jacket and socks seem to be more from Mike's that combination has already become one of the most popular Halloween costumes with or without the blonde wig and instantly recognizable as associated with Stranger Things. For season two, Eleven's signature buzz cut is response is replaced with curly brunette locks, and her dress is more rustic, baggy clothes, including overalls and and heavy jackets. In my head explains new costume designer Kim Wilcox. Hawker had been Hopper had been giving her clothes he had already had in boxes in the cabin and then maybe making a run to the next county to go to a thrift store and buy stuff for a boy as a disguise. That look, of course, changes dramatically in Chapter 7, The Lost Sister, which was the inspiration for Punk 11. We wanted her to become part of the gang, explains Wilcox, to observe part of that look, to be this rougher person. So half of her costume is still made up of things we wouldn't have brought with her, that she wouldn't have brought with her, her famous Converse, uh, her socks, her jeans. But we felt that the top half would have been borrowed from others, that it that it be fun to combine a torn T-shirt with a uh, with a tweeter element. The end result with eyeshadow, slicked black hair, and dark blazer is a look inspired by TV stars like Madonna and the Bengals, as well as punk rockers like uh, Sue X and Joan Jett. Beyond Eleven and her new punk rock crew, Wilcox wanted to make the clothes in season two more vibrant just as they gradually evolved over the course of the 80s. I wanted to infuse more of the colors of the early 80s, see, she says. So while we kept a lot of that earthy palette, the tans and browns and blues, we also added in some pastels and slightly poppier colors. The tones are a little uh, happier looking. We see, that these, we see these colors on the boys as well as the girls, uh, colors were nearly as gendered, weren't as nearly as gendered in the 1980s. Season 2's newcomers also bring very distinct stylistic sensibilities. Max, the tomboy skater girl from California, wears a red striped track jacket in one episode and a bright yellow windsurfer sweats, sweat sweatshirt in another. Her older brother, Billy, meanwhile, is all denim. Jean jacket, tight-fitting vintage Levi's and boots. And, of course, the mullet. I just love the moment when the Camaro first pulls out. His boots come out of the car and hits the ground. And all the girls are staring, says Wilcox. It's so 80s.
The inspiration for Billy's look came from a number of boy band figures from the 1980s, but especially Rob Lowe's character, also named Billy, from St. Elmo's Fire. They even donned the same earring. Asked about her favorite costume design for season two, however, Wilcox picked a surprisingly subtle character, the Kaminar icon of the second season, Bob Newby. For his look, Wilcox pulled up all these old photos of actual Radio Shack employees as inspiration. They didn't really wear uniforms, usually just a suit or a sport coat and slacks, and a lot of polyester. So that boring brown tan-on look, they were just like, this is it. His jeans are so 70s too, but Bob definitely hasn't changed his style in a very long time. As great as the newcomers' fashion statements are, no discussion of style in Stranger Things would be complete without mentioning Steve Harrington. Steve's look is vintage 80s prep. Polo shirts, uh, Levi's, khakis, pristine Nikes, Tom Cruise-like sunglasses. This makes sense as we not only know that Steve comes from a wealthy family, he has a heated pool. He is also a phototypical popular guy from high school. But the real key to Steve's look is the hair. Steve seems to pull off that long, thick, voluptuous hair effortlessly. Yet, in a conversation with Dustin in Season 2, Chapter 6, The Spy, while walking down the train tracks with Dustin, we learned the real secret, Fabergé Organics. Use the shampoo and conditioner, he explains, and when your hair is damp, it's not wet, okay? It's damp. Do four puffs of the Farrah Fawcett spray. Dustin finds that revelation hilarious. Farrah Fawcett spray? Yes, Steve responds. Farrah Fawcett spray. You tell anyone I just told you that, and your ass is grass. Perhaps the biggest style icon of the 1970s, Farrah Fawcett signed a multi-million dollar endorsement deal with Fabergé Organics in 1977, shortly after starring in Charlie's Angels. Both the shampoo and hairspray were enormously popular in the late 70s and early 1980s. Commercials for the product featuring Fawcett ran regularly on TV. The Duffers wanted to run one of those commercials in the show, but weren't able to get the licensing. We wanted Eleven to see a Farrah Fawcett hair commercial early on when she was watching TV, said Matt Duffer, but we just couldn't nail down the rights to do it. Usually, we can get it, but that one was one where we failed to lock it down. By the early 1980s, Fawcett is no longer in the commercials anyway. In her place was actress and model Heather Locklear. Inspired by Steve's hair tips, Dustin is later seen using the Farrah Fawcett spray in preparation for the Hawkins Middle School snowball dance. Dustin's version of Steve's hair, of course, turns out a bit different. A combination of a mullet and um, a jerry curl. In real life, it looks a lot like gel. But Dustin's wet curly look is classic 80s and he rocks it with style and confidence.
Throughout the series, the fashion mantra was simple, to be as authentic as possible. For the Duffer Brothers, explains Kimberly Adams, it was so important to make the characters feel real and not like characters of the 80s. Like so many other ingredients in the show, it works so well because of his attention to detail, to clothes, brands, hairstyles, makeup, accessories. Every detail makes a difference to each character, even if it never gets seen on screen.